giving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Purcell, on my podcast, The Accidental Care Partners, as I bring you information and tips for caregiving from other family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next 20 or so minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there. Thanks for choosing the Accidental Care Partners Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell. And before we get started, I have a word of explanation about Episode 4. What follows in this download is the episode in its entirety. This episode is approximately 35 minutes in length and contains quite a bit of detailed information for you. If you wish to hear the episode in its entirety, continue listening. However, if you do not have time for the longer version, you can listen to the shorter excerpts in order, starting with episode 4A and ending with 4H. This will give you the full benefit of the topic, which is building the Essential Caregiving Toolkit. The excerpts from the full-length episode have been recorded individually to help you find specific information and the templates related to each section. Hey there! Thanks for choosing the Accidental Care Partners Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell. Today's show is all about the essential things you need to provide quality care and to limit your stress in the process. So I'm going to talk about the Essential Caregiving Toolkit and the various tools available to you to make many tasks of caregiving a bit easier. If you've been in the caregiving role for a while, you may already be using many of these tools, or you may have found other things to be helpful, in which case, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com and tell me what you found to be essential to your success as a family caregiver. I'll do a follow-up podcast to share your ideas with other listeners. When I talk about this Essential Caregiving Toolkit, I'm talking about a variety of items that can make the effort of providing care easier and more manageable. The things we discussed in Episode 2 are the tools necessary for managing a household and don't necessarily apply to the task of personal care, although I have found over the years that the household tasks add a lot of stress to those who are new to the role of caregiver. But for now, let's consider that to be a volume unto itself. Today, our time will focus more on managing the actual care of your loved one. This toolbox will be sort of an organized catch-all space that you will often use, so you'll want to find a convenient place to keep it. If you want to see the templates I've designed for this toolkit, go to the website and look under Episode 4. You may download and print for your personal use. In addition to your care receiver, I also highly recommend having binders for each member of your family who is under the care of more than one doctor. It's never too early to make things easier on yourself. The Essential Caregiving Toolkit starts with a one and a half or two inch three ring binder. This is something you'll use daily at home and you'll take with you to all doctor's appointments, so it needs to be sturdy. You will need a set of tabs 
to divide each of the sections to make finding what you need easier. The binder will be large enough to hold 100 or so pages, and that should be plenty. And I'm going to talk about the sections in the order that makes the most sense to me. You could order them differently if that makes more sense to you. But before I get into the toolkit, I want to encourage you to get an appointment calendar and place this in the front of your binder. This is the place where you will keep up with all standing appointments. You know the things like hair appointments or dental appointments, your Friday lunch with the girls or your Tuesday mornings with the guys, whatever you do on a regular basis. And by having this appointment calendar in the front of the binder, it will just make it easier when you're at a doctor trying to make a follow-up appointment and you can make your appointment, know that it's in a safe place on your calendar and you'll never have to reschedule or cancel. Section one contains the list of care providers. There's a template with spaces for multiple caregiver information. It begins with a space for your primary caregiver's name, address, phone number, and relationship to the care receiver at the top of the page. For example, if I were using my father as the care receiver, my oldest sister would be inserted into the list as his primary caregiver, and that would contain her name, her address, phone number, and then her relationship to him, which would be daughter. Following that, is a list of emergency care partners in order of priority. So if we use the same example, my other two sisters would be listed next with their addresses and their phone numbers and their relationship. I would bring up the rear simply because I live the farthest distance away and it would be very impractical for me to be higher on the list. If there are paid caregivers, you can also include them on this page in the order you would want them contacted if a need arose. Section 2 would contain the list of physicians. You would include their office addresses, phone numbers, and their medical specialty. And this would be important if somebody other than the primary caregiver is using the binder to find a doctor that your care receiver needs. So list by specialty. And I would fill in this page beginning with the physician that your care receiver sees most frequently and then list the others in the list of medical priority. Continuing with my dad as the example, his first physician to be listed would be his primary care provider who was a family medicine practitioner. And then after that, I would list his cardiologist and then his dermatologist. Now, each of your care receivers list will be highly individualized. So my only recommendation is to put the doctors in the order of the frequency that your care receiver sees them. This template will hold information for seven physicians. So if you need additional pages, simply print as many as you need and carry on. Section three is dedicated to medications and pharmacies. If you use multiple pharmacies, I suggest you use a separate page for each one and then list the medications that are purchased under the appropriate pharmacy. And be sure to include any mail order pharmacy as well. There are spaces for 10 medications per page, and each space will contain the name of the medication, the strength of the dosage, and what times the medication is to be taken each day. 
This can be um, helpful to you when you're filling medication planners or pill boxes, but always double check with the prescription bottle to make sure you're giving the medication as prescribed. And pay close attention to those medications that are not on the daily schedule, such as those that are given every other day, or maybe there could be something that is given on a weekly basis. If you need additional room for your medications, then print another page and then Make sure you list the pharmacy at the top of the second page. And you might find it helpful to highlight the different pharmacies um, using different highlight colors just to make it easier for you to find which one you're looking for. Section 4 is reserved for observations or Q&A for the next doctor's visit. I've heard caregivers talk about thinking of something they wanted to clarify when they go to the doctor. But by the time they get to the next appointment, they've forgotten what it was. This page is intended to help you remember. If you write down your questions as you think of them, then you'll always have them at your fingertips. So there's a place on the template for the question and the date that you thought of it, a place for the description or the issue, the question to be asked to the doctor or your healthcare provider, and then there's a place for the answer. There are four of these per page. So be sure to keep a blank copy of the template for your future use. This is an excellent place to keep your questions and answers handy so that you can refer back to it if you need to. Section 5 contains signs and symptoms of four common issues in the chronically ill. These common issues are dehydration, urinary tract infections, dysphagia, and mobility or balance issues. I've included a simple definition of each of the common issues and then signs or symptoms that you should look for when your care receiver is not feeling well. For instance, if your loved one is more fatigued than usual and has muscle cramping, then you would want to check and see if the urine is darker than normal, if it has a strong odor, because these can be signs that she's dehydrated. If you notice that your care receiver is fidgeting more or has chills or a fever, and dark urine, then there may be a urinary tract infection. But if you notice coughing or gagging while eating or complaints of heartburn often, or maybe they're hoarse but you can't think of a reason why they're hoarse, then they may be having difficulty swallowing. If your care receiver is fatiguing easily when walking, or you find in the afternoons they're dragging their feet and shuffling more, or maybe they're dropping things or they're having a hard time getting the food to their mouth or if they're having tremors. There may be issues with their mobility. All this means is that it's time to talk to your healthcare provider because it may be time for a walker, a cane, or a bedside mode, or handrails in the bathroom. There are many things that can be used to help with mobility issues. And if it's an issue with feeding, then there are other things that can be used such as fatter utensils so that they're easier to grip. And you can also get fatter toothbrushes and things like that that just make it easier to do the activities of daily living. The most important thing about Section 5 is that it gives you a quick guidance if you notice something that is just a little off from the normal day-to-day. And if your care receiver is showing any of these symptoms, you need to contact the healthcare provider immediately. There could be something serious going on. The next section, which is six, is about helpful resources. I've started with a brief overview about when to call the non-emergency 911. 
A lot of people don't even know this is um, a service that is available to you, so I wanted to make sure this was front and center. You can call the non-emergency 911 when your loved one has fallen or slipped out of the chair, and you just simply can't get him up. These are only for non-injury things. If your loved one has fallen and has hit his head or scraped the skin off his knees or elbows, then you will need to call emergency 911 and the paramedics can come out and take a look at him and make sure there are no serious effects of the fall. But if you're calling non-emergency 911, when the operator answers, simply say, this is a non-emergency call, but I need assistance. And then they will ask the nature of the assistance and then they will dispatch someone out to help you. Another resource is the appointment calendar that I've already advised you to put in the front of the binder. Keeping all standing appointments on the same calendar as the medical appointments will help you know when you're available for the next follow-up visit without the hassle of canceling or rescheduling anything. I talked a little about this one when I discussed the medication and pharmacy section of the binder. You have several options regarding medication management, and they include the medication planner, the pill boxes, and now you can actually get your medications bubble wrapped by your pharmacy. Not all pharmacies provide the service, but many do. And there may be a fee by your pharmacy, but if it's your hometown pharmacy, they may do it for free. So just check on it if you want to try this. And if you're using med planners or pill boxes, of course, you know there's a vast assortment out there. And you can find them everywhere from the pharmacies to the dollar store to online retailers. And they come in every shape, form, or fashion. You can get them for daily meds for morning, evening, to multiple times per day. So just choose the one that best fits your needs and then you're ready to go. And then you're gonna need a timer or two. You'll most likely not need to purchase a timer because you may already have several that you can use. I think of things that you probably have in the house already such as egg timers or kitchen timers, oven or microwave timers, alarm clocks, cell phones, smartwatches, really anything will do that will remind you when it's time to give out the next dose of medication. And on your cell phone and smartwatches, you can give different tones for different times of day, and that will just be a prompt for you. The next thing on this list of possible resources is headphones for listening to television. I've had several families use these with great success and relief. There are many price points, and I'm sure you can find one that will fit into your budget if this is something that will allow your family to watch television together without anyone being left out or anybody else being blasted out of the room. But in addition to those heavier headphones, you might consider getting a set of wider headphones or earbuds and an MP3 player. I consulted a board-certified music therapist about how you can use music in meaningful ways in the course of caregiving. Dr. Anna Galloway, who is a doctor of occupational therapy, as well as being a board-certified music therapist, provided this guideline. She says music can be used in meaningful ways and can be helpful during times of sundowning or when agitation is a problem. Music selection is important, so make sure you select songs that you know your care receiver likes. And she gave this as an example. Don't lump all classical music into one option, but select pieces that your care receiver knows and enjoys. 
In other words, if he loves music by Bach, then for heaven's sake, don't select music by Wagner. Think back across your loved one's life and make informed music selections. My dad was a country music fan. He loved country music, and he especially loved the country music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Really, until the very end, he could actually sing the lyrics to those songs. So if we were choosing music for him, that would be his playlist. Dr. Galway also suggested that you might make different playlists for different uses. You could select an array of favorites to simply bring pleasure to your care receiver, just with the listening. Or you could put together a group of his or her favorite slower, calmer, softer tracks that would serve to help calm their mind. Dr. Galway also provided a word of caution about the overuse of music or television. She recommends avoiding using music and television as a means of babysitting. She reports that more than four hours of continuous music or TV can cause overstimulation and actually bring on fidgeting behavior. And you know what those look like. It's the restlessness, the wandering around, the rummaging will start, the need to find a snack, anything that keeps them moving. The line between stimulation and overstimulation, of course, will vary from person to person, just like everything else. So you'll want to pay attention to your loved one's reactions and their time tolerance. But the four-hour limit should apply to everyone. We want to use these tools appropriately so that we have favorable outcomes for all of our care receivers. The next resource I've put here is a group called Fidget Busters. The first one I've listed is a little gadget simply known as the Fidget Spinner. These are held between the thumb and finger and are simply made to spin. It's awfully soothing to the person that's using them and they will do this repetitively. Just make sure the spinner is soundly made and does not come apart and become a choking hazard. My dad loved these in the earliest stages. He would sit for hours and spin, 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 spin. I knew things were beginning to decline further when he was no longer able to understand how to make them spin. Other options for dealing with fidgety behaviors are a fidget blanket or a wristband that has bobbles on it. And these are usually custom made and oftentimes you'll find they have a theme, but I've not found them in commercial markets only locally sourced by some talented seamstresses who create really beautiful functional art. I've uploaded photos of the items that my dad had so that you can see what they look like. And of course, you know, the website is accidentalcarepartners.com. And just go to the show notes for episode four and you'll see the pictures there. I do have a word of caution for you if you're going to create one of these or if someone you know chooses to be creative. Just make sure that you test all of the elements to make sure that they are secure and that they will remain secure, even if an elephant was pulling on it. And if you have the least idea that an element could be torn off or bitten off, then it should just be left off. So a story of my dad and his fidget blanket. He had been very ill and was actually in the hospital at this time, and we weren't sure he was going to make it. But I had a fidget blanket that someone in my church had made, and it was really beautiful. It was very bright and had all of these different textures on it. And I just thought, okay, he was starting to feel better. He was getting antsy in the bed. We didn't know if he was going to be able to stand up and walk yet. 
So I was trying to find something to occupy his time because by this point in his disease process, he was no longer interested in television. He could read all the captioning. He could read everything. He didn't understand any of it. And it really, the noise of it just got on his nerves. So I pulled out the blanket and I laid it across his lap. And oh my gosh, he loved it. He put his hands on, on the edges of the blanket. He worked all around the edges, almost like he was feeling of a puzzle. And then he, almost like reading Braille, he moved his fingers across the blanket and back across the blanket. And he just kept going back and forth, back and forth until he had covered the entire blanket. Of course, you know, I was mesmerized watching him explore it for the very first time. But after a while, um, I got a little lax and I wasn't paying as close attention. And he actually, I still don't know how he did it, but there was some adornment on the blanket that he had actually managed to take off. It had been sewn soundly. There was no reason why it should come off. It did not fall off. He actually worked to get it off. I could not find a break in the thread. I couldn't, I do not know how he got it off, but I found it in his mouth. So just like a toddler, you would want to watch and make sure that everything stays where it's supposed to be. But what my dad did was he got that piece off and then he went back and he found another piece of the blanket that was really intriguing to him. There's a group of ribbons that are fastened to a flower on his blanket. And he wrapped one of the ribbons around his finger and he tugged and then he relaxed. Then he tugged, then he relaxed. And eventually he worked that one ribbon out of the entire bunch. And again, he did not break the thread that had attached them. He actually just worked the, the end of the ribbon out from under the sewing. But he never bothered any of the others, which was really surprising. But once he had remodeled his blanket, as I called it, and he had removed all the things that he could get off, then he just sat back and enjoyed it. I didn't have to watch him quite as closely. In his blanket, he had a series of pockets, some that had zippers, some that had buttons, and all of them had stuffed animals, like miniature stuffed animals in them. And when he found the first stuffed animal, it was amazing. He was like a little boy. He played with them like a little boy would play with his army men or a little girl would play with her dolls. He gave them names. He animated them. He moved them around like puppets. And he had so much fun. It was so much fun to watch him until he was done. And then he decided it was time to eat them. So again, I had to eventually remove the stuffed animals for a time and let him sort of um, regroup. And I would only let him use the blanket a little like the music. I only let him use the blanket for about an hour at a time. And then I would take it away and we would entertain him with other things. But then I would reintroduce the blanket. It was like he was seeing it again for the very first time. And he would go through the whole rigmarole of exploring his blanket from one end to the other, and then he would just enjoy what it had to offer. So it might be something that you would want to at least experiment with. A lady in my son's church also made wristbands that were for fidgeting, and this was really a great service to us. His was made from a very fuzzy sock, 
and she had simply cut the foot off and used what would have been the shank of the sock, the part that would have come up on the calf, as the wristband. So it was about six inches long. It's not like an athletic wristband that's only a couple of inches wide, but it was long enough to cover his forearm. She had tied, or I guess sewn on, a key, like an old truck key, and then she had put some buttons and some beads, and I think she had a Santa Claus head. You'll see. Um, again, I made a picture for you so you could see. But surprisingly, he was not able to pull anything off the wristband. And we used this to prevent him from picking at his skin. He had been a picker from way back because he had some skin cancers. So we could put this on his arm and he would fidget with all of the baubles, but it didn't bother his skin. So that was really, really nice. Another thing I found that is helpful for fidgeting behaviors include children's toys. And one of my favorite is made by the Doug and Melissa brand. And it's called a latches board. And I'll spell that for you, but it's L-A-T-C-H-E-S. So it's a latches board. It's very simple, but it has all different kinds of locks. So you have like a window lock or a bolt lock or a chain lock. And there's just a vast array of locks on this board. And I've had so many patients who loved this. It kept their loved ones occupied for a long time because they can manipulate them. You can open and close, open and close, and yet they have no cognitive connection that these are actually latches in their home. It's simply something that occupies their time. I saw one of these custom built in an upscale memory care facility, and it was about two feet by three feet, so it was very large, and it had probably nine or more different kinds of locks on it, and they mounted it on the wall so it was just shoulder height. And the residents of that memory care unit would come by, would catch their eye, and they would just stop and play with it. And they would spend several minutes or many minutes. It just depended on how it struck them on any given day. But I was very happy to see that. So they can be made at home, but the caution there would be that you make sure the board has smooth edges nothing that can splinter, so you would want to sand that off or maybe route it off. The other toys are those that make sounds or that have lights because those get their attention, they're stimulating to their mind, and they're very entertaining. But just like with young children, I would tell you to choose your toys wisely. I don't know about you, but in my family, oh my gosh, I probably started this because I did not have the first children. But I would buy the toys that had bells and whistles. I thought they were so fun, and I wanted my nieces and nephews to have those. Well, when it was my turn, when I was having my children, it was payback time. And, oh my gosh, there are some things that were so annoying, I could not stand to hear them. And they did end up back at Grandma's house. Get something that you think they will love, something that you can tolerate for long periods of time. Because if you get something that they really love, just like a child, they're going to want to play with it over and over and over again, which is a good thing. You just have to be able to, to withstand it. And the last thing I put on this resource page is something called weighted blankets. These can be used to calm or to soothe a care receiver. But each person is different, as we know. So you'll need to experiment, try them out, and see if it works for your situation. They can be a bit pricey. So check around and see if anyone you know 
has one you could try first. And if it works, then you might want to invest in that. So the next section is seven. And this doesn't have anything I'm going to give you. It just should contain a copy of your care receiver's advanced directives and the healthcare proxy, which is also known as the healthcare power of attorney. Having it in this binder will ensure you always have a copy with you if you need one. So if you aren't sure what an advanced directive document is or how to do the healthcare proxy, I will be doing a future episode on these topics. And the final tool in today's Essential Caregiving Toolkit, the 24-hour daily activity log. And this is something that will be used to monitor your care receiver's daily activities. And you won't have to worry too much while they're still very active. But when things start to decline, it will be helpful to you because this is where the nitty-gritty part of caregiving comes in. This is the hard part. And trying to remember what happened because your days start to run together. So I've made a template to help you and anyone else who comes in to relieve you or partners with you to help you keep up with really how your loved one is performing the things that he does every single day. It doesn't matter whether he's doing them alone or if he needs assistance, but it will help you keep track of how he's doing. And I've included things like what time he wakes up, what time he goes to bed. And really, this is just helping you monitor the amount of time that he spends awake and the amount of time he's sleeping. You're going to want to pay attention to your care receiver's appetite. So I have a place there to monitor each meal. How much are they eating? Are they eating at meal times or are they just snacking? How much are they snacking? Do they ask for food or do you have to offer food? And that's a clue for you. If you find that they're eating 20% of any one meal and you're not offering them anything else during the day, only at meal time, then you may have to start incorporating snacks. But if they're asking for food all the time, then maybe you're going to need to look at what it is they're getting at mealtime. And you might want to talk to your healthcare provider in any of these scenarios because either too much appetite or too little are signs of other things that are going on. You're also going to want to pay attention to whether your care receiver is eating of their own accord or whether you're having to prompt, you know, it's time to take a bite or, you know, let's have a drink. Just signs that things continue to decline. It's very important to monitor fluid intake because you certainly want to avoid dehydration. And you also need to monitor the frequency of bowel movements because you definitely want to avoid any impactions. And both of these situations, dehydration or constipation, can affect mental status and can cause confusion and restlessness. So those two things would be the first go-to if you're seeing signs of either one. And this template can help you know how much fluid they've been taking in, and how much they're putting out. The notes here can be used like you would in a formal medical setting as a communication tool among all the care partners. And if it's used diligently, it will accurately show what has occurred over a 24-hour period. Because you're going to need multiple pages of this to use this consistently, I suggest you put this in a separate binder. And you'll find that as the needs of your loved one increase, this tool can be a meaningful way to share information that you're observing in your home with the healthcare provider. And it will actually show concrete evidence of changes in his mental or physical abilities. And it's all based on what you're seeing 
as your loved one is engaged in his activities of daily living. So to summarize, I've introduced you to the list of care partners, the list of physicians, the medication and pharmacy list, and the observation and Q&A list for your next doctor's appointment. We have discussed signs or symptoms of the commonly found issues in chronically ill people and a whole bunch of other resources that include when to call the non-emergency 911 versus calling the emergency 911, the appointment calendar, the medication planner, timers, headphones for television and headphones, and earbuds for MP3 music players. Now, I think I forgot to mention that if your care receiver uses hearing aids, earbuds might not work very well, and you might have to experiment a little bit with headphones before you get one that will work with the hearing aids. And if it doesn't work with the hearing aids, try it without, because if you can turn up the volume and it not blast everybody else out, that might actually replace the hearing aids while they're actually listening to music or watching television. And then we've talked about different kinds of fidget busters and the weighted blanket. And then we brought up the final supplement element, which is the daily activities log. And there you have the essential caregiving toolkit. As a reminder, you may download and print the templates that I have created at the accidentalcarepartners.com website. And you can put these in your own binder with your own tabs and you'll be ready to roll. But also remember I said, in addition to making a binder for your care receiver, if you or anyone else in your family sees more than one doctor on a regular basis, then I just strongly suggest you fix a binder for each one. And you can put them in different colors so you can keep them straight or you can put a different face sheet on the top. But it just makes things easier for you. And it is never too early to make things better for those who will eventually be caring for you. So I look forward to hearing your tips and tools, the things that you're finding that make life easier for you that other caregivers might also be able to use. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. That's all I have for today. You can find more information on our website, which is the accidentalcarepartners.com. And you can also find information from us on our Facebook page, which is also titled Accidental Care Partners. Um, check both places for updates and maybe information on future support groups. Um, if there's enough interest, then we'll try to make that happen. Also, please help us connect with other caregivers who need the information we have to provide. And you can do that by liking, sharing, and subscribing um, in the buttons below. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, show notes and tip sheets will be posted on the accidentalcarepartners.com website, and you can also leave comments there. Another way to reach me would be through email to carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I will respond to you as soon as I can, and I will use your feedback to produce future episodes. So I really want to hear from you. So until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is very difficult. So be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.